Join the Big Show Friday, November 15th from 3 to 6 p.m. at the warehouse in 1967 South, 300 West in Salt Lake City. Prices so low, it'll blow your mind. Got a question up on our Facebook page, DJ and PK. We can run this by our guest, Lincoln Kennedy, is going to join us here in a minute. Wayne Cook in an hour, UCLA sideline reporter. Put this up. Why is Kyle Whittingham such a good coach? What qualities does he have? Yeah, there was a guy who works for the U yesterday, and he decided he was going to have a little fun and ask Kyle why he's the greatest coach in the country. And then Kyle looked at me, you got an answer? And so I was on the spot. And as I was walking out of the facility yesterday, I got to think, you know, you've been there for 15 years and you had a lot of success. And you're classified as a, co- as a good coach. You're most likely going to go down as the winningest Utah football coach of all time. So that means you are a good coach. And why is he a good coach? I, I was thinking about that as I was walking to my car, and it was the, the question was meant to be a, a joke of a question, lighthearted moment. But I thought that, as I thought about it, I thought, actually, it's a good question. He didn't mean it that way, but it is a good question. <laughs> but one maybe we should delve into because if you yeah. hold on to your job for more than a decade right. in college football, in this today, you world, must you must know what you're doing precisely. Yes, and he's got the program on top, man. They're going to be the first team to win the division two years in a row. I mean, the Bruins did it, but the one year they didn't win the division, SC was in, on probation. DJ and PK, we are joined now by Lincoln Kennedy, Pac-12 Network analyst and Oakland Raider analyst, and he joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Lease any handset and get an iPad for ninety nine ninety nine. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Lincoln, good morning. Good morning, guys. Who are you guys talking about? I just heard Kyle Whittingham at the end of his weekly press conference. A guy didn't bother with the mic, and he asked Kyle, uh, "You know, why are you such a good coach?" An an in-house guy, an in-house guy, yeah. And he yelled, and he he yelled it without the mic. Why are you such a good coach? And who mows your lawn? I mean, you know, (laughs) he's trying to have fun. And so Kyle immediately told PK to answer the question, but it got PK thinking. Okay, what does he have? Because in college football, if you're at the same school for more than a decade. And you're still posting winning records, and that's the only way to hold on to that job for that long. You got to have something going for you. You got to you, right. you can't just fall right. into it more than a decade. And Kyle's at a decade and a half now. So, in your opinion, what makes Kyle good? What separates him from some of the guys who are in and out of jobs in three, four, five years? You know what? Um, what's interesting is that you know, once upon a time, there were certain college football jobs that were you know, or coaches that you thought were lifers. You had your Joe Paternals, you had your Bobby Bowdens, you had your Don James, you had, you know, those guys that stayed at a program until they were done. Um, and then it seems like in this day and age, with everything that's going on, with all the transition and I guess, I don't even know if they're, they're considered ladder jobs where you're taking a step up, um, you see a lot of movement amongst coaches. So it's refreshing to see somebody stay at one program for longer than, say, a couple of years or looking for something better. Um, so I, I kind of chalk it up to that, if that makes sense. I've been around Kyle for many years now, uh, during the off season and during the season, obviously. And two things that I would say, and they, they go together, and I want to get your thought on it. When you ask what is a good coach and why is he a good coach, in my mind, the two things that I could narrow it down is identity 
and consistency. And I mean by that, when you think of Utah football, their identity, I think, is clear. Obviously, you know what it is. We all know what it is. And so that identity leads itself and breeds the consistency. So every day in the University of Utah football program, you have identity and consistency. And those are the two things that I think that have led a major reason as to why he's been successful for 15 years. You remember those days where you, you saw um, youths try to open things up like spread formation and throw the ball around and how weird that felt or, or looked for them because it, it wasn't true to their identity? I agree with you. I agree with you. I, I believe that you are who you are and you find a way to, to, to um, you know, weigh the storm, if you will, um, when things seem a little bit tough. But uh, I agree with you. The identity has remained consistent. And that's, that's one of the great things, though, Coach Whittingham. Kyle mentioned during that press conference that both uh, UCLA and Utah control their own destiny. Now, you can get off, and some coaches have, get off into some discussion philosophically about whether you can control your destiny or your destiny is your destiny. But his point is, if either one of these teams win the rest of their games, they're in the Pac-12 title game. Having said that, the Utes are favored by 20 points. So when you say something <laughs> like that, it sounds like it ought to be a close game. But Vegas thinks it's going to be a blowout. How do you see it? Oh, it's, it's one of those things where we said anything can happen. You know, who decides to show up? I mean, you know, a couple of weeks ago, a lot of people, including myself, wrote UCLA, UCLA off as done. I, I told you guys many times on, our, on um, our talks that in the future, UCLA is going to be okay because they've got a lot of young players. Well, no one expected them to play uh, as quickly as they did or surprise people as quickly as they did. So um, I, I really don't pay that much into um, what the, the the point spreads are. I think those guys in Vegas know some stuff about things, but I just don't I don't put in too much in because anything can happen on game day. So these last couple of weeks, particularly since the Washington game, the Utes had to have that, and then SC loses to Oregon. So now all of a sudden the Utes don't have to worry about SC losing as long as the Utes win. And since that time, with the uh, advent of the college playoff, the Utes have been receiving a ton of love nationally. Top 10 ranked, right on the verge of possibly getting into a playoff, a Rose Bowl, Oregon. So the point I'm making is the last two weeks, because they had the bye, has been nothing but love as a coach as a player do you have any concern about these guys maybe getting too big-headed because there's been nothing but positive shown their way and that's not what the program was built on it was built on being an underdog and now all of a sudden they're being lathered in praise left and right well yeah there's always that concern because we're talking about young men here we're not talking about you know guys who've been there and done it before and we're also talking about a program that, for whatever for whatever reason, um, has imploded or not taken care of business this time of the year in years past. So there are lots of um, firsts, if you will. Um, so, but but again, there's nothing really you can do about it because you want to be in this position. You want to have a chance to challenge for national recognition. The only way you can do that is to win. And I said all along, I think the best chance for the Pac-12 to get in the playoff is for Oregon to win out and and, um, Utah to win out, play each other, and then whichever team arises has that chance to win for the playoff. You can't do that and not be noticed in this this game today. So as you watch uh, 
as you watch the Utes down the stretch, you know, three games, you're always supposed to be improving all that. They got three games till they play Oregon. What do they need to get better at? I don't, there's nothing that really stands out other than just doing what they do. And as we talked about identity, I think everyone coming into this season, including you guys, will agree. They run the ball, they play great defense. Well, they've got a great defense, outstanding defense. And they, they know how to run the ball. And of course, when it comes to, you know, putting up points when they have to, they know how to score. So you have a quarterback who's consistent with the program and knows how to march his team down when they need to get points. That's important. I think they're doing everything right. It just, you just have to remain consistent and keep winning football games. We know that Oregon, relative to the most recent years, are better than they've been. But let's go back to when Chip Kelly had it really going on. What do you see in the differences of this program, or do you see any differences that would make you think that Oregon is better equipped to win bigger games as they go down the stretch, conference final, and maybe they have a shot at the playoff? Defense. It comes down to defense. The fact that Oregon has a defense that can play football. Once upon a time, Oregon was all so offensive loaded that when they got into big games, the defense let them down. They have a defense they can play now. Were you surprised with the way uh, LSU-Alabama unfolded? And how much of a difference is there between the elite teams in the SEC and the elite teams in the Pac-12? Because I'm reading all the stuff about Bama's schedule and they haven't played anybody. It's like, but they're Bama and they got Saban and they got all this credibility, even if you know, the resume doesn't look that different than a Pac-12 school. Well, let's just put it this way. You know, Bama didn't play anybody, guys. And the truth of the matter is that when it comes down to it, the one team that I'm constantly worried about is Bama because due off a repetition, I think Bama is the only team in, in, let's say, the country for whatever reason, will have one loss and won't play in their championship game and still has a great chance of getting the playoffs. That does not bode well for any Pac-12 school. the truth of the matter, in, in, in my opinion, is this, is that I, I'm, I'm actually glad that LSU beat Alabama because I'm tired of Alabama being talked about so much. And you're right, they, they learned how to play the schedule game, where if you look at their schedule and you look at who they play, no, they don't play anybody. And then when they have a big game listed, they either have a bye before or a cupcake. And that's what a lot of premier teams that are doing. The, the problem with, for the Pac-12 is that you still have a couple of other schools that are still, you know, shining. Um, Ohio State, obviously, uh, in, in the Big Ten, you know they're not going to leave a Big Ten champion out. Um, and this is where they just need to increase the number of teams that are playing uh, in the Pac-12, I mean, not in the Pac-12, in the playoff. I don't know if that's going to happen or when that's going to happen, but they, they definitely need to do it. But Alabama is still in the thick of things because you've got a lot of people out there who want to see a rematch of LSU Alabama, and they don't mind if it's in a national championship or a playoff game, but they're going to keep Alabama around just for that reason. One of the reasons I like talking to you is you're going to tell it like it is as you see it. You know, some of these guys who work for the Pac-12, they tend to be rose-colored and they're a little hesitant to acknowledge the obvious. And what I'm getting at is we had just a big-time referee screw-up in the Cal-Washington State game. Mistakes are going to happen. I get Mm -hmm. that. But this one seemed to be a doozy, and it's just built upon the reputation and the the columnist who works in Oregon just piles on them, and he wrote another piece that they need a complete and total overhaul. I mean, What needs to happen to get away from this and to get where they need to be with some of the stuff that seemed to be getting in the way and stunting the progress as a conference? 
You know, once upon a time, it didn't matter what level it was, whether it was college, high school, even pro level, you kind of gave a little bit of an excuse for human error. Um, and what I mean by that is that, you know, look, you know, sometimes they get it wrong. It's, it's, it's part of it. Um, speaking of the referees, to me, when you have uh, this day and age, because of the TV coverage, the amount of cameras that are often at these you know, games that are shown on TV, you want to say that you got to get it right, and there's really no reason why you can't get it right. The, the, the difficulty is, is because you've, you've, got a lot of, you've got a lot of criticism on both sides. You've got a lot of people who sit there and say, well, yeah, you need to get it right, and you should get it right and get it right. And then you want to have people who support um, other you know, referees. We're like, well, okay, let's just kind of excuse this. Let's not overturn it, or let's not let it go on, on, on TV. I saw a lot of that last night in the Monday Night Football game. Um, so it's, it's difficult to, to, to proclaim what has to happen. Um, I mean, I think as a fan or as critics or as people who enjoy the game, again, you want them to get it right. But at the same point, you have to have some sort of sympathy for human error. Okay, sometimes you're not going to see everything in full speed and, and think of how it goes. Um, I, I say that to say this, that we're really in a quarry of how we can handle or how we can view things, especially in this day and age, because there's so much attention to sports. And if it determines an outcome of a truly important game, like, say, a, a Pac-12 championship or a, a playoff game, then you're really going to be in a fray. And that's what you got to worry about. So I, I really don't know the answer to the question or what has to happen. I just know that, uh, again, we just want them to get it right, if that makes sense. You know, I, uh, if you're not watching a game when it happens and you just see a little you know, a headline or something on your phone and it says, refs penalize wrong team, 57-yard yeah. mistake, I think, if I click on this, is it going to say Pac-12 refs? <laughs> I bet it is. And so I click on it. And it's the Pac-12 refs. And I think that's the thing in the conference office, if they set all the personalities aside, because it seems like there's a good old boy network going on. And we don't really want to hammer these people that for whatever reason we've known for however long I got these loyalties to. But that can't happen that someone looks on their phone and says, 57-yard mistake, I'll bet it was the Pac-12. And then it was. And until they address the good old boy network that protects people who do, in some cases, crazy stuff that's been reported, this is going to keep happening, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you guys. You know, my most egregious thing that I had ever since, you know, covering the Pac-12 when they came out with was the targeting rule. And, and it was a targeting rule for so many reasons, but the, most, the, the biggest part of it was um, that, a, that a young man was going to miss, it was going to be suspended, you know, be ejected and suspended for the first half of the game. Now they've kind of kind of come around and, and, and sort of changed all that. But, you know, when it comes to hits um, and it comes to hits with the helmets and trying to, you know, safety, I think they've gone overboard because it, it's also trickled. I mean, it, it's come down from the program, pro game down to, you know, other levels to where they're talking about, you know, uh, unnecessary contact. And I, I know most recently as last night where they had – um, they were calling a helmet-to-helmet hit on the quarterback. Um, you know, a defensive lineman is going in for sacking the quarterback. The quarterback lowers his head, and they call a low uh, a helmet, a helmet-to-helmet hit. And I'm thinking to myself, what are you supposed to do? 
If you're if you're making contact with a guy, what are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to notice that he's going down in an instantaneous moment, and and next thing you know, you're trying to go out and make the hit because you're you're feeling the moment right now. You want to lay a wallop on this quarterback, but oh, let me pull off because he's his helmet is going down. How do you possibly do that? There are times like that where the game has not caught up with the literature and the rules. And that's why they throw flags, or that's why they penalize you. And these penalties can come back and haunt you if you're not careful about it. So a year ago, since you do work for the Raiders, the Raiders were trading their best defensive player and their best receiver, and it was thought that, ah, they're packing it in until they move to Vegas. And now here we are, they're going to win the AFC West. (laughs) What a transformation. I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but obviously they're in the mix with the Chiefs stumbling. Well... For me, it's, it's dual fold. I mean, though I'm happy to see that I've got a good product to report on, the truth of the matter is that if I'm the Raiders, I'm careful what I'm wished for. Yes, you know, you think about it. If you win, if you win, the, win a spot in the playoffs, that's a tremendous story for me in four wins one year ago to be aware of you are now. But at the same point, I do know this. The Raiders are an average football team, and they're not going to beat – New England, New England. They're not going to beat Kansas City, Kansas City. They're not going to beat Houston, and Houston. They they won't even beat Baltimore, and Baltimore. Uh, if they're a wild card team, they're going to have to go to one of these places. So yes, it would be good to to see them go to playoffs and, and probably win twice as many games they won the year before. But at the same point, I don't want to report on them getting their ass kicked, and that's what's probably going to happen if they if they go to one of these teams. <laughs> hey, I, I can I can remember Bronco fans saying the same thing. We don't want to go to another Super Bowl and lose it, but you can't win if you don't go. You got to throw That's yourself true. into the fray. That's true. And they got a couple games that, I mean, you got to be careful because now Miami's won two in a row, so there are no gimmies. <laughs> there's no gimmies out there. But, you know, it looks like there's a couple soft games coming up, and they ought to be 7-4 and four and set themselves up. Well, they, they're playing a true, you know, last place schedule, for example, or, and, and because of the teams they're playing, they have potential to be there. But I'm talking with people, a lot of people at the Raiders facility, you know, some people have projected, oh, well, I think we can go 10-6. and six. I'm like, whoa, 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 10-6, and six. where do you see that? You know, there's still teams that can that can you know, hurt you. I think Jacksonville still has a chance to be, be hard. You can't sleep on even a no-win team in Cincinnati because, like a coach once told me, those guys on the other side of the field get paid too. So be careful. Yeah. All right, Lincoln, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Lincoln Kennedy, Pac-12 Network analyst and Raider analyst.